First and Second Thessalonians. I'm putting them together for one re- or for a couple reasons. One is because they are shorter books, and there are probably a couple of other books that we uh, or a few other in our uh, rest of our studies um, that we will combine. Um, that we're getting uh, kind of the last leg of our of our uh, cruising study, and so. Um, Tonight is we're combining First and Second Thessalonians together, and um, but that's the main one of the reasons is because they're short books, but there are a couple. Of, there's another reason or two also. So I'll mention that as we go. So First Thessalonians, as I mentioned, there's usually one word or a phrase, and in some cases, part of a verse that describes or or kind of uh, sums up a book that we're studying. And so tonight, the word would be hope, found in First Thessalonians. And hope in the Bible is always a word of certainty. It's usually aiming towards the future, but it's always a word of certainty. There are five chapters in 1 Thessalonians, uh, as we'll get to in just a little bit. There are three chapters in 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians was written somewhere um, at the end or beginning of Paul's first or second missionary journey. Um, It was written, uh, one of the earliest books that he wrote. And when it comes to... um, a new believer, a new Christian, um, oftentimes we'll tell them to read the Gospel of John, which is good because it's the book about eternal life. But there's a lot in John that has um, references to the Old Testament, and they have to be kind of familiar with the Old Testament. So uh, not that they couldn't read it without being familiar, but what I'm saying is it's easier to get bogged down in that. But John is a great book to begin with for a new Christian because it talks about uh, eternal life and the assurance of it. But if there's a letter that is in the New Testament uh, that Paul wrote, I would say let them start with 1 Thessalonians because there are actually no references to Old Testament passages. They really don't need to know anything from the Old Testament history to go straight in. So if there's a new believer that knew absolutely nothing about the Bible, 1 Thessalonians would be a good, uh, a good study for them because... It's not real deep, but yet it has doctrine in it as well. Uh, so it was written somewhere, either on his first or second missionary journey, depending on how that fell, uh, 48 to 52 A.D. It was one of the earliest um, letters that he wrote, maybe as earliest that we have included in Scripture. Um, so breaking it down, it doesn't break down completely with each chapter, but to, to give an overview of each chapter, um, chapter 1 uh, gives us what our attitude should be about the Lord's return. Uh, chapter 2, our reward at Christ's return. Chapter 3, verse 1 through most of chapter 4, uh, verse 12 is our life until, until Jesus comes back. And then the rest of chapter 4 is our death and Christ's return, which that's the section. Actually, I st- should have started at verse 13 on there on that point. But that's actually a section about the rapture we'll look at in a little bit. And then chapter 5, our actions in view of the Lord's return uh, as believers, how we should, uh, the things we should do, how should we should be living, very practical reminders as a believer. So again, there's not a lot of deep doctrine in First Thessalonians. There is some, but it's uh, somewhat easier compared to, say, Ephesians. It gets a little deep, as we saw that a few weeks ago. So um, each chapter, every one of these chapters ends with our Lord's return, every one of them. Um, let's, let's look at them real quick, and then we'll back up to earlier part of chapter 1 in just a moment, just to give an introduction. But chapter 1 and verse 10, um, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. Chapter 2, verse number 19, um, For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Verse 20 says, for you are our glory and joy. So right at the end of every chapter, there's something about the Lord coming back. So um, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, we'll see, see in just a moment um, uh, how they're written and, and how they co- uh, complement each other. Chapter 3, the last verse in chapter 3, verse 13. To the end, he may, establish, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. All right, uh, chapter 4, um, actually you start at verse 13 and go to the end of the chapter, verse 18, that's about the rapture, we'll come back to that, but verse 16 and 17 about his return, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And then the final one, chapter 5, verse 23. Uh, it's not the exact, not the very last verse, but it's towards the end of that chapter. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll come back to that verse actually a little bit later too. But anyway, those all five chapters, either at the very end or towards the end of each chapter, um, has something in it about our Lord's return, about Him coming back for us to take us home. So that's one of the main themes in First Thessalonians is the Lord's return. So let's take the scenic route and let's back it up um, and look over a little bit. Let's start first with chapter 1, verse 1. Um, Paul and Silvanus. So that would be the long, uh, long name for Silas. Uh, you, we see him called Silas in the book of Acts, but in some of Paul's letters, he addresses him with his full name, Silvanus. That would be like you've got um, Joe for, uh, Joseph would be Joe and William would be Bill or Will. Um, so it's, uh, it's the longer uh, of his name. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, again, the long part of his name. He's also called Timothy. Timotheus is the long version um, uh, of his name. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timotheus, Timothy, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's true for every believer. Uh, we're in God, we're in the Lord Jesus. He's in us, we're in Him. So he's writing to that church and it says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And then he says, Remembering out ceasing, without ceasing your work of faith, verse 3, labor of love, patience of, there's our word, hope, and our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. So as he writes to this church, this is one of the few churches that Paul doesn't have to correct a lot of things. Now, there will be a correction in the second one, second letter, but he doesn't have to write and get on to him for a lot of things like he did with the Corinthians. Of course, <laughs> that letter is not like any other. Paul had to get, get on to them about a lot of things to get straightened out. But anyway, um, we, we're going to take the scenic route and look at several things in chapter 2 and some in chapter 3 uh, here in just a moment. So... Um, Asking this question and looking at skipping way ahead to chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, to answer the question, so who killed Jesus? Chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, who's responsible for his death? Verse 13, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is uh, in the truth, the word of God. I think I got the wrong verses there. Yeah, that should be, I'm sorry. Yeah, that should be 1 Thessalonians. I messed that up. And it also, also should be 14 and 15. I messed that up. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 2 if you're there. Sorry about that. Verse 14 and 15. I'll get that right. Thank you for helping point that out. Verse 14. For ye brethren, there we go, became followers of the churches of God which are in Judea, uh, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. So who killed Jesus? Well, the Jews were responsible to a great degree. Go back to Mark 14, if you will. They were responsible for a great, to a great degree, although um, they're not the only ones. But let's look and see their um, guilt, if you will in uh, the death of Jesus. Mark chapter 15, verse 8, down to verse 14. I know it's kind of lengthy, but let's look at this. And the, uh, and the multitude. So this would be of the, of the Jews around, um, um, because as you read on through there, you see where uh, Jesus, he, Pilate asked Jesus, uh, you know, who are you? Are the king of the Jews? And it says, uh, talks about the elders, the scribes, verse 1, and Jewish leaders, but yet not just the Jewish leaders, but many of the individual Jewish people. Chapter eight, uh, 15, verse 8. And the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people. Who that would be? That would be the other Jews. That he should rather release Barabbas unto them. 
And Pilate answered and said unto them, Will you then that I, What will you then that I shall do unto him whom you call Jesus, the King of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. So uh, the Jews were responsible in that sense. Uh, they had guilt, but it wasn't just them. Look at chapter 15 also and verse number 15 of Mark. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. So the actual crucifixion was done by the Romans, the Roman soldiers. So in one sense, the Jews had him put to death. In the other sense, so did Rome. And they actually were the ones who drove the nails. Uh, But go back with me to um, John 12, to your right there, to John 12. John chapter 12, and pick up at verse... 32 and 33. Jesus said this, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, and what is that? But the cross, of course, being hung on the cross, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. And so we know, uh, along with that verse, is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So in a spiritual sense, everybody's guilty. Why? Because we're all sinners. So in that sense, we all put him on the cross. So you hear from time to time, you'll see, maybe hear uh, interviews, or you'll see maybe some type of documentary. Well, who's responsible for killing Jesus? Was it, was it Israel? Yeah. Was it the Jews? Yeah. Was it everybody else? Yeah. Uh, they answer all of them. So we're all responsible for that. We're all um, um, accountable and, and have a guilt for doing that in that sense. All right. Uh, looking over, we're going to skip around a little bit here, but go back to First uh, Thessalonians. Uh, there are two places where Paul talks about God's will directly about God's will in these uh, in this passage, um, chapter four verse or in this cha- uh, in this book. I'm sorry, chapter four verse three. Let's pick up at verse one and look at the context. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. That as you have received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Walk, of course, is how we're to you know, live daily and to please God. So you would abound more and more. Verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. God, Paul says, I'm spelling out to you, this is absolutely the will of God. Even your sanctification. And then he says that you should abstain from fornication. So, Abstaining from fornication fits within this, but the bigger picture is sanctification. It's God's will that every person is sanctified. What does that mean? Well, when we're saved, we are justified. We're declared righteous when we place our faith in Christ. But from that point on is a process of the Christian life. And another long word for it found in Scripture is simply the word sanctification. The word sanctify means that someone is set apart for something. In fact, the same word for saint in our Bible, is it comes from the same word that we get sanctification. That is, we are set aside, set apart um, for, his, for Him for the rest of our lives. And so uh, basically what He's saying is from the time you're saved till God calls you home, He's working in your life to sanctify you. He's making us more, more like the Lord Jesus Himself. And then He says here, more specifically, to abstain from fornication. So that is God's will for every believer that we're sanctified, that He, he makes us more and more like Jesus. He's making us more, more like Him uh, as we grow in grace. And as um, uh, from the from the time we're saved till he takes us home, in our, in our walk with him, chapter five, verse eighteen, and every thanks, no, excuse me, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We'll come back to this verse actually at the end of uh, this chapter, but what Paul says here is. Um, not necessarily that everything that happens is God's will concerning us. We know that ultimately it is uh, in the sense that God knew about it. But some things that happened to us, God wouldn't have chosen those things to happen, uh, maybe. But he knows they're going to happen. But what's his will? His will is that we give thanks, not necessarily because they happen, but thanks to know that it's the will of God to give thanks to Him because we know that whatever we've gone through or we're going through, He's taking care of us. He's, he's with us in it. Our bad decision, someone else's bad decision, whatever it may be, He's still working in our life. And uh, God's will is for us to give thanks to Him no matter our circumstances. This is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus. But no, notice it doesn't say give thanks um, and, every, and for everything give thanks. It says in everything give thanks. So whatever comes our way, it may be something, if there's sin involved, we never, you know, you can't give thanks for sin, uh, but we're in everything give thanks. That's what he tells us to do. So uh, we'll see a little bit about God's will in that chapter. Going back to chapter, um, about, wait a minute, let me back that up. I went a little further, far on that. Let's see. I think I missed something here. Let me see. Oh, I know what I did. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Go back with me to, um, we read the highlights of, cha- of each chapter and the Lord's return. Um, go back to um, chapter 2. And let's see. Okay, yeah, go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 12 that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So we saw that word walk earlier um, or when we looked at chapter 4. It says, um, we beseech you, brethren, to exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you received of us how you ought to walk and to please God. Walk would be a mental picture that we can get in our mind of daily uh, living for the Lord, daily serving the Lord. Uh, every day we walk somewhere, most likely, unless you're, you know, uh, hindered in some way physically or with your health or something, you walk. It may not be as many steps some days as others, but we walk all the time. We walk to the door. We walk to the, the kitchen. We walk um, outside. We walk to get the mail. We walk to our vehicle and ride in it. So that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. That is our daily life, our daily living, that we would walk worthy of him. Now, uh, to walk worthy of him doesn't mean that we're um, trying to be worthy of our salvation. We can never be that. But in other words, what he's saying is, is to as, a, um, as we grow as Christians, our living um, should match the, what he tells us to do in Scripture, should match that. It doesn't always. We're all human, and we all make mistakes, but he calls us to do that. Uh, so in, uh, in this chapter uh, 2 here, as you read through there, you see how in the, um, throughout this chapter he talks about the importance of, of believers in, in our walk. Go back to um, chapter, let's see. Look, look at chapter 2, verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. So he gives an example of, you know, of walking and, and pleasing the Lord there, just like he mentioned pleasing God in chapter 4, verse 5. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. So here, uh, as he does in a couple other places in the book of 1 Thessalonians, he talks about our walk and, and, serving, and serving the Lord and living for him. Next thing to look at, and this is all part of our tune-up, chapter 2, look at verse 17 and 18. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoring that more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we, we would have come unto you, um, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. Look over at chapter 3 and verse 10. Night and day praying exceedingly we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now he's asking a question there, but the point he's making is you can see. Um, so he wanted to be in their presence. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to help them and see them face to face. And he said that we may help you with whatever's lacking in your faith. The Thessalonian believers, some of them were probably just baby Christians. Some of them may have been saved a, a little more longer than others. As I mentioned in the... Um, at the time um, timeline, uh, many of them were probably saved in his first missionary or which are missionary journey. Um, probably the first missionary journey is where he met many of them, and then he wrote his letter at the end of that journey or the first or second journey. So many of them he probably personally led to the Lord, and so they might have been on all different types of or all different levels of spiritual growth. But he said, "I wanted to be with you. I wanted to see you face to face to help you in whatever's lacking in your faith. Maybe there's some, you know, and they didn't have written scripture, so that other than the Old Testament, so there were probably things, there were probably questions they had." probably things about their Christian growth and walk that they didn't understand. And Paul longed to be there with them to help them with that. But back up again with that in mind, back to verse 17. 
uh, verse 18. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hinders, uh, hindered us, hindered him and Paul and, uh, excuse me, he and Timothy and Silas. So we see that our enemy is a great hinderer. He tries anything he can do to hinder the work of God. Now, we live in a day of mass communication. They didn't have that then. Um, but uh, I firmly believe that one of Satan's favorite things is to keep believers separated from each other. If he can do it with a fight, he'll do that. If he can do it with some kind of disagreement, he'll do that. Um, if he can split a church, he'll do that. But he wants to keep believers away from each other. Um, and because a lot of times... Um, the, the answers we need, of course, we get our answers from the Lord and from Scripture, but a lot of times the help we need will come through a brother or sister in Christ. And if Satan can keep a, uh, keep a barrier between them, um, he has a heyday. He has a party. He loves that. He loves to separate believers away from each other. And so Paul said, we wanted to come once again, but our enemy, Satan, hindered us. And then he goes on in verse 10 of chapter 3 we read to explain. He said, I want to help you in what's lacking in your faith. I want to help you with the things that you need to give you uh, spiritual growth and encouragement. And yet uh, our enemy was hindering that. So we see that he is the great hinderer. And he will hinder the work of God and anything that he can do or that can be done amongst God's people. Chapter 4, verse 1, we mentioned about um, pleasing to the Lord and abounding spiritually. We, we looked at that when we talked about verse 3, but look at verse 1 again. Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so that you would abound more and more. So spiritual growth comes with reading the Word. It comes with prayer. But as we do these things that are pleasing to Him, then our spiritual growth will abound. There will be an abundance. Hebrews chapter 11, I think it's verse 6, says, uh, For without faith it is impossible to please God. So the, uh, he that believes in God must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So um, Paul, uh, wants, he writes there, wants them to abound spiritually to grow. Now, in chapter 5, I was going to take most of the time um, here for this for 1 Thessalonians because there's so many things right here. Some of these, um, one or two of these, we'll look at some references. Chapter 5, starting at verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. So, I mentioned a while ago that Satan loves to hinder, and one of the ways he does that is keep believers apart from each other. But Paul says that when you're together, Comfort yourselves together, edify one another, build each other up. So in order to do that, yeah, you can do that on the phone. Yeah, you can do that with text and with email, but you build each other up when you're in each other's presence. And so he says, comfort yourself together, be together. Verse 12, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. In other words, know those that are, you know, that teach and preach the word and those who um, uh, are, are in leadership, know them. Um, that that are that admonish you, that help you, that that teach you um, the word, and teach you um, and, and help you in your spiritual growth. Verse thirteen, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and to be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Uh, verse fifteen, see that none render evil for evil. Unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and all men. And this is where we get into like just some very short, most of these are very short verses. Some of them two, three, four uh, words in them, not very long, but they're very powerful. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. Keep rejoicing. Um, we studied Philippians. The theme of the book of Philippians is joy and rejoicing. And so here Paul just throws those two words in there. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice always. If you can't um, uh, think of something to rejoice, sit there for a few minutes. The Lord will bring some things to your mind. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in his blessings and his goodness. Verse 17. Um, these are verses that can be memorized because they're very short. Pray without ceasing. Um, as I mentioned before, I don't I certainly don't think that means to just sit and pray all the time, just, just praying, 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 praying. When it says pray without ceasing, it's to pray until God answers a prayer. Pray, answers what you're praying about. Keep praying about it. You may do it once a day, may do it several times a day or once every week or so, but keep praying about it. Pray without ceasing. Um, 
I think I mentioned to you, I, had a, I lost it though, but several years ago, someone gave me a, was either a lapel pin or a tie pin. Lyndon Fowler gave me that. Um, and it had on it, it said P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. And so that's, that's this verse right here, pray without ceasing. Keep praying until God gives a definite answer one way or the other. Um, and that's why he encourages us to do it without ceasing because it's easy to get discouraged when a prayer is not answered as soon as we think it should be. Uh, it may take a lot of time. I need to move on. Verse 18, and everything give thanks. We looked at this a while ago. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, quench not the spirit. To quench something, that word's used both, we use it in the English language, both in the good and the bad way. Um, this is the bad way. So the good way would be, um, used to see it on something to advertise on, some drink on TV like uh I don't know, Kool-Aid or something, quench your thirst. It's some kind of tea, you know, quench your thirst. So that's in a good way. But also to quench something, if you took water or something and there's a fire burning and you throw it, you quench that fire. Well, that's the, that's the meaning of it here. Uh, quench not the Spirit. In other words, don't do something that will hinder the Holy Spirit's work in your life or, you know, worshiping together. Don't hinder the Holy Spirit. Let Him work the way He wants to work. Uh, 20, we're going to, I didn't, there wasn't enough room really on there to put this, but uh, verse 20, despise not prophesying. Hold your place and go over to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, this is the chapter where Paul talks about two things. He talks about tongues and he talks about prophecy. And so prophecy in the New Testament, we think of the book of Revelation, and that's one type of prophecy, to prophesy, to foretell, to foretell uh, the future. But also there's a prophecy that is to speak forth. That is to simply give the message that was given to you to speak. And so that's what he's talking about here. Despise not, despise not prophesying. 1 Corinthians 14. So Paul talks about here, um, um, he talks about, he gives them guidelines in this chapter about speaking in tongues. But he also talks about them about the importance of prophesying. We would use the word preaching, proclaiming. And so he talks about in here that prophesying is greater than tongues. And he tells why. But anyway, look at verse 4 and 5, 1 Corinthians 14. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifies the church, edifies everyone, uh, the body. Verse 5, I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues except to interpret that the church may receive edifice. So it's greater, um, it says there. And then look at verse 24 and 25, same chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, maybe turn to the next page or so. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. This is what I want to see in verse 25. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So one of the things he contrasts between prophecy, proclaiming, preaching, uh, and, and tongues is that, you know, tongues may edify one person, but prophesying edifies the whole church. And he says, as he says here in verse 25, the secrets of the heart are made manifest. So there are times when you hear someone, pre me, someone preach, uh, and you're sitting there listening, there's something that you're going to hear, and in your heart and mind, and looking at the Word, and listening to the Holy Spirit, He's going to show you something. Other people sitting around you, they, it may or may not be something that applies to them at that time of their life. But it does to you. And so it says, thus are the secrets of the heart made manifest whenever the Word is taught, or, or well, taught too, but when it's proclaimed, when it's preached, it's to meet us where we live, so to speak. And so there are things in our life as, as uh, we hear the word preached that will direct us, it will correct us, it will instruct us, it will help us. And so he says, don't, don't despise those. Don't despise prophesying. Don't despise preaching. And so, um, you know, we have a lack of that in our nation, in our churches in our nation, a lack of people who come to hear it. It's very important to, to find a church where a pastor is preaching the word. Verse 21, uh, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. So um, 
it says prove all things. Of course, you know, not, not, not everyone knows everything. Only the Lord knows everything. So that's why whenever, you know, you have a question from Scripture, you look and find the answer in, in Scripture. Prove all things. Uh, hold fast that which is good. Uh, abstain from all appearance of evil. Boy, our, our, our society's lost that. Christianity in our days lost that. Verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a human being, we have a spirit, we have a soul, I mentioned Sunday morning, and we have a body. Um, God created Adam from the dust of the ground. There's his body, breathed into his nostrils, a breath of life. There's his spirit, and he became a living soul. So God creates, uh, has created us, made all of us with a spirit, with a soul, and a body. Uh, verse number 24, beautiful promise. I love this. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. God will keep his word. He's faithful. And that's a great verse to me. Any of these verses are great to memorize. That's a great verse to memorize. Verse 25, brethren, pray for us. We all need prayer. Verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. So um, in that day, I think I've mentioned this before. In that day, they didn't shake hands. They didn't have a lot of running water. They did have water that they could use, but, you know, everybody came into worship. Probably not everybody's, you know, uh, washing their hands or running water. They didn't have any. And a lot of them just came out of the garden, out of the, uh, maybe, you know, from the, um, maybe they just uh, been fishing or something like that. And so you don't know what you're going to get. So what you do is uh, rather than those days, rather than shaking hands, usually they would kiss each other on the cheek. That was a common thing in that day. So he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. And uh, it was included in the, what we call the canon. It's included in the New Testament. And we have it right here in front of us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. So there are several things that he just gives just, just uh, one after another in those verses, plenty of powerful commands. Jesus in 1 Thessalonians, uh, he's called in chapter 1, verse 1, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called chapter 1, verse 3, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a favorite uh, reference Paul gives to Jesus uh, about Jesus. Uh, he's called the Lord Jesus Christ because, you know, he's a risen Savior. And so um, he mentions, he, he uh, uses that phrase when he, uh, addresses them and talks about the Lord. Um, some great uh, words, uh, verses to memorize. One of them we haven't looked at tonight yet, but go to chapter 2. Actually, we started it a while ago accidentally. Chapter 2 and verse 13. Uh, we saw in chapter 1, verse 10, to wait for, the, uh, for his son from heaven. Uh, talking about waiting for Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 13. This is a long verse, but a great promise about God's word. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. In other words, you receive God's word and receive it every time you um, hear it or read it yourself, because it effectually works. It'll do the job spiritually for us. Uh, we believe it and uh, believe what he said. Chapter 4, verse 16 to 18 is about the rapture. Actually, it should start at verse 13, but uh, those verses are about the rapture. Great verses to memorize. Chapter 5, verse 9. And this will actually, we're getting ready to go into the second letter here in just a moment. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's not appointed us to the wrath of the tribulation. We'll see that in the second letter but to obtain salvation. You say, well, we're already saved. Yes, we're already saved. Our spirit and soul are saved, but our body's not saved yet. It won't be saved until the rapture when we get a new body. So um, we obtain salvation. We have it right now. We have eternal life, but our body will get it in its fullness when we have, when we have a brand new body. Uh, and then we saw chapter 5, verse 16 to 25. Any of those are great for memorizing um, those verses especially. All right, so let's move into 2 Thessalonians. Yep, move into 2 Thessalonians. Uh, it was written somewhere probably on Paul's second missionary journey, somewhere around 52 to 53 AD, or maybe at the very end of his second missionary journey. Um, so it was written not long after the first one, and we're going to find out why here in just a moment when we get to uh, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 2 especially. 
So we said there's a key verse or word or something for each book. Chapter 1 and verse 10 of 2 Thessalonians, we, we looked at 1.10 of 1 Thessalonians. Now 2 Thessalonians verse, chapter 1 verse 10. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony on you, among you is believed in that day. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and he will, he will come back. Chapter 1, or excuse me, the first book, chapter 4 told us about the rapture. And remember, there's a reference to our Lord's return in all five chapters of the first of First Thessalonians. And so um, in this book, he explains to us why Christians will not go through the tribulation. Uh, we saw a hint of it in chapter 5, verse 9 of First Thessalonians, which says he's not appointed us to wrath. Um, and so we'll, we'll see the assurance of that in, in this book. Just three chapters uh, but 1 Thessalonians was written to assure us that Jesus will rapture his church. 2 Thessalonians was written to assure us that the rapture has not yet occurred. It says had there, but the uh, reason I put had is because the believers at Thessalonica, they had some questions about that. And Paul writes this letter to assure them that it has not happened yet. Um, in fact, he, um, he uh, chapter 2, the first couple of verses, he really focuses in on that. But this second letter was written to assure us that it has not yet occurred yet and to assure them that it had not yet occurred uh, at the time that they got it. So apparently they had some questions about it because they were wondering about their loved ones that had gone on before. And, G and Paul had already said in chapter 4, the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up. So let's look at a quick outline of it. Chapter 1 talks about the persecution of believers and uh, there are a few references to it, and we'll come to one of those in just a moment. Uh, chapter 2, wow, verse 1 through 12, talks about the prophetic plan, and it talks a little bit about the uh, tribulation. Chapter 2, verse 13, through the end of chapter 3, are the practical implications that the, because the Lord's coming back for us to uh, apply. Very similar to uh, the last chapter of, uh, of 1 Thessalonians as far as uh, practical daily living for the believer in light of the fact that the Lord's coming back. Chapter 1, verse 4, he says this, So that we ourselves glory in the churches of God, in you, excuse me, in the churches of God, for your patience and faith and all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. So the word tribulation is used a number of times in Scripture, even, especially, even in the New Testament in Paul's writings. But every time you see the word tribulation or tribulations here, it's not referring to the great tribulation. He will in chapter 2. But what he's saying is, is there are always tribulations in life, always problems and tribulations. Um, John, uh, Jesus said in John 15, 20, uh, in the world, uh, um, that the, if they persecuted me, Get that right. John chapter 15, verse 20. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So there's several places in, uh, in the Gospels and in Paul's letters about persecution. So persecution was nothing new to them. It's nothing new today. We're blessed to live in a free country where we do not face at least not physical persecution. Um, there are other ways to be persecuted besides physically, but uh, we don't face that so much in our country. Believe me, there are plenty of believers at this moment who are facing it in countries all over the world. And so, you know, how are we any better than them? We're not. We just live in a free country that God's blessed. So that's basically it. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But understand, that may not necessarily mean going through something physical. It could be other ways of being persecuted. You could be um, shunned away from others because of your faith, maybe even family or friends because of your faith uh, in Christ. And so um, persecution can happen in a lot of ways. And then there's the word tribulation. Jesus said um, in John 16, verse 33, um, In the world you shall have tribulation. He says, but I have overcome the world. He says, don't fear, I have overcome the world. And so tribulation is a word that's used um, not just always meaning the great tribulation. First, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, Paul mentions tribulation here. And it's a personal thing. It's not like going through the great tribulation. It's a personal thing, either individually or that they suffered as, as a church or something. First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble 
by the comfort where we ourselves are comforted of God. So, letting the Scripture define the Scripture, tribulation is simply another word for trouble, for going through troubles. He comforts us in all tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. So it's a type of maybe personal trouble that you go through. So anyway, he mentions that in chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 1 is a reference to the rapture. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him. That's a reference back to his first letter where he said, uh, for the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So that gathering together is a phrase, a reference uh, concerning the rapture. So he writes and tells them, we beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together in him, the rapture, which at that time hadn't happened, hadn't happened yet now, uh, still hasn't happened, I should put it that way. He says, I beseech you by that. What does he beseech him for? Verse 2, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letters from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So that's a reference to the Lord's uh, coming for his church. And uh, he assures them, it hasn't happened yet. Don't be shaken if you hear that it's happened because it hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Our gathering together, that's a reference to the rapture. Notice he says, or don't be shaken in spirit, verse 2, in mind, or troubled neither by spirit nor by word, something somebody says about it, nor by letter as from us. So even in that early time, the early churches, apparently there were some, some uh, counterfeit letters, some fake letters circulating around. And so Paul says, if you get a letter like that, it didn't come from us. If somebody writes and tells you that, we're not the ones we didn't say that. Even if it's signed with them by my name, it's, I didn't say that, and I didn't write it. So they could be passing them off as from Paul or maybe from Peter, one of the other apostles, or, um, or whatever. But whatever those letters were, they certainly were kept out of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit didn't have those included, and um, they're, they're not in the New Testament. So uh, whatever letters they were, they were written, one, two, ten, however many, uh, Paul says, don't be shaken by that. Because we didn't say that. The Lord hasn't said that. We didn't write that. And so um, there were obviously some, uh, some fake, you know, some uh, fake things circulating. Chapter 2, verse 3. Now, we're going to go into this a little bit deeper because we've only got 10 minutes left tonight. So, but let's look at this a little bit. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 4. I'm going to read both of them and then we're going to look at some references. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. So what is the day? Well, verse 2 says the day of Christ. And so the day of Christ actually is not a 24-hour day, just like some other times, the day of the Lord. Now, there are 24-hour days in Scripture, of course. When God created the heaven and the earth, first day, 24 hours created this. Second day, 24 hours created this. But a day is not always a 24-hour period. Sometimes it's a period of time. That's what the day of the Lord is. What is the day of the Lord? It begins at the rapture, and it doesn't end until um, the actually the end of the millennial reign of Christ. But it, uh, in, in the way we would see it, it begins at the rapture and doesn't end until the end of the tribulation. That's called the day of the Lord. Why is it called that? Well, it's called the day of the Lord because uh, the church is removed at the beginning of that day of the Lord, and it continues all the way through the tribulation. And so it's a period of time. So that day, he says, um, for that day shall not come. There won't, the rapture will not have happened yet, hasn't happened yet, and it will not happen until what happens. Except there come a falling away first. We're living in it right now. 2024, we're downtown Laodicea right now. We're living right in that falling away. We're living in the long, the 50 cent word, well, inflation. The $5 word is apostasy. It means to fall away from. So he says, that day the rapture was not going to happen until the falling away, and we're living in that now. So it tells me we're getting close. Then he says, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So after the rapture, the Antichrist will be revealed. So here are some titles for him. Same guy. Man of sin, that's a name for the Antichrist. The son of perdition, that's a name for the Antichrist. And... Um, and so he's described uh, there with those or given those two names. Look at verse four. 
This is what he's come to do in a nutshell. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, that's going to happen in the tribulation. After the, the temple's rebuilt, Whenever that's going to happen, it may start before the rapture happens. I don't know. Uh, but at some point, the temple is going to be rebuilt there in Jerusalem, somewhere on the mount. And at some point after it's rebuilt, after the rapture, the tribulation will happen uh, or, or began, the Antichrist will go in about halfway through. He will declare himself as God, sit in the temple, declare himself as God, and demand worship from everybody. Look at it again in verse number 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing. The word show there is a word to declare something. Not just to see with your eyes, but to declare. And so he says he will desire, he will demand worship. But I want you to understand here. So we use the word antichrist, and we're going to look up a, a a reference or two real quick, just a moment, actually one of them in 1 John. We use the word antichrist, which is another name for him. The word anti has two meanings. It means to be against something, anti. You take an antibiotic for, you know, a virus or something or, or sickness or whatever. Anti is against it. But also the word anti means to be in place of something. And both of these describe the antichrist. He's against Jesus and he comes in place of him. Look again at verse 4, and it shows us there. Who opposes against and exalts himself above all that is called God, he's in the place of. He will come in the place of. So right there in verse 4, it defines what that word antichrist means. Against and in place of. Opposes against God, exalts himself above all that is called God, in place of God. All right, over in 1 John chapter 4. And verse number three, read this real quick and then we need to move on. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Where have you heard that it should come? And even now already is it in the world. So notice there it doesn't say um, this is Antichrist. It's the spirit of Antichrist. So even though the Antichrist is not in office, so to speak, right now, he's not taking over the world right now. He won't until after the rapture. The spirit of Antichrist is working right now. What does it say? Who does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh? We said that he is against, remember? That's the spirit of Antichrist. He does things against God, against the Lord Jesus Christ. Over to Ephesians 2, verse 2, it says, He's the prince of the power of the air that now works in the, uh, in the children of disobedience. And so um, he is the one who is against Christ, works against him. Now, let's go back to first Thess uh, 2 Thessalonians 2. Remember, Paul's clearing things up about the, the fact that they didn't miss the rapture, and if they heard it by anybody else or even read it in a letter, it's not true, he says. You've not missed it. You're going to see your loved ones. You haven't missed it. Chapter 2, look at verse, um, verse 6 tells us he'll be revealed in his time, and that won't be until after the rapture. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It's the same as what we saw in 1 John as the spirit of Antichrist. Mystery of iniquity is the same thing. Doth already work. It means Paul says, look, Antichrist is not here yet, but his spirit and the mystery of iniquity, who he is and what he does, it's already that part's already begun because of who he is. Only this is what I want you to look at. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. In the English language, we have a lot of words that the same word means different things. L-I-E, what comes to your mind? Lie. Uh, what comes to your mind? Define it. Untruth. Yeah. Huh? An untruth. An untruth. Anybody else got something? You recline. Yeah. See, you got a lot of words in the English language that mean more than one thing. They're spelled alike. So the word let, we see it in, a, in a, uh, sometimes it means a word to allow. Let me in. Let me in, Right? Allow me to come in. Well, sometimes that word let also means to hinder. There's several places in Scripture that it means that. So let's look at this. Again, verse 7. 
He that now, he who now letteth, whoever the he is, who now letteth, will let until he be taken out of the way. So what this, what this is for you and me to understand, there's something that hinders, that holds back the Antichrist and, and or the spirit of Antichrist, and Mr. Nicky is just going absolutely crazy. There's something that lets, that holds it back. I'm not a tennis player, but in tennis, uh, when that ball hits that, that net, or they'll say let, they don't say net, they say let, why is it? It means it's hindered. The ball is hindered. So the, the word's still used sometimes to this day, but it means to hinder. So he who hinders, he who lets, he who hinders until he's taken out of the way. So Paul, when he writes this and look in the context of it, the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ hinders everything from just going completely to shambles in this world. If it wasn't for Christians, and that doesn't mean we pat ourselves on the back. Excuse me, didn't, didn't mean to hit you. That doesn't mean we pat ourselves on the back. That's the Holy Spirit within us. He lives within us. But there's going to be a day when the Holy Spirit within the church is going to be taken out. We're hindering Satan's work right now, if you think of it that way. But when we're taken out at the rapture, it's going to go. Now, at first it may be peaceable, but it's really going to start to go. Things are going to completely degenerate. Things are completely fall apart. You say, well, is the Holy Spirit still here? Well, His presence is here, will be here, and there will be people saved during the tribulation. They'll have to really go through a lot. They'll be saved during the tribulation, but He's not in the same presence as He is with us here right now. He's in the body of Christ. And that's why it's so important for our believers. And church, if churches really got a hold of this, people would say, I don't want to miss church. I don't want to miss fellowshipping together. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Remember what we saw in 1 Thessalonians about prophesying and don't despise? I don't want to miss church. I don't want to miss being with God's people. I don't want to miss fellowship together. Now, none of us are perfect. All of us have our problems. And it's like sometimes, I think it's Charles Swindoll that says, um, we need each other, but sometimes like the porcupine, we needle each other. You know, <laughs> you get too close sometimes or whatever. So, But to hold back, um, that's, that's, boy, I got off track, didn't I? Anyway, so he holds back what, what could be because of the of Holy Spirit in us. Uh, chapter 2, verse 9. We don't have time to look at the reference, but I'll re- give it to you. Verse 9, even him, this is speaking of the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So the signs and lying wonders in the book of Acts, he will try to duplicate those. Revelation 13, verse 11 to 15, he has a sidekick. We call, uh, the, the scripture calls him the false prophet who will tell everybody you need to take the mark and will also perform great miracles. Uh, along with the Antichrist. In fact, the Bible describes in Revelation 13 that he has a deadly wound that is healed. And so um, signs and lying wonders, that will be seen also in the tribulation uh, as well. Uh, 2.15, we need to move on. Chapter 2, verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, some traditions, for tradition's sake, may not mean very much. But the traditions Paul's talking about here is what you've been taught in the Word, the things you know to be true, hold on to them. Don't let them go. Just keep them in a tight grip. Don't let them go. It's very important that you keep these things the right kind of traditions. Paul says in 3 verse 7, getting close to the end here, he says, follow us, for yourselves know that how you ought to follow us, uh, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. First Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So in other words, um, everybody follows somebody. Um, make sure you follow the, have the right example to follow. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, if you see me getting off the path, Paul says that's different. But if I'm following the Lord, then you follow me. Paul told Timothy, the things that I've uh, written unto you commit to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. All of us need to be examples, and all of us are examples, uh, and we need examples from other people because we're also examples. So follow us, he says. Um, here's a tune-up. We looked at verse glorified in you and ye in him um, to, um, to serve him and please him. Uh, in our lives. Chapter 3, we don't have time. We're getting towards the end, but if you'd like to write those down. Chapter 3, and for the ones that are that listen to this on uh, audio, chapter 3, verse 6, verse 7, verse 14, and verse 15, he talks about those to, um, 
to avoid. Uh, let me just read verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you draw, withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the, there uses the word again, tradition, which is received of us. But then when you look at verse uh, 15, it says, Count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. In other words, they're not enemies just because they're not doing right. Uh, but he says, be careful uh, how you walk uh, as a believer. Uh, Jesus in 2 Thessalonians, just as Paul did in many of his other letters, his favorite term is the Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And then some good verses to memorize. Chapter 3, verse 3 tells us that the Lord is faithful. Uh, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and keep you from evil. Um, chapter 3, verse 5 talks about our patient waiting for Christ. And then 3, verse 13, and be not weary, or excuse me, uh, but ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Uh, we may sometimes get, get weary of well-doing, but he says don't be weary in it because it can wear us out, but don't be weary in it. Keep on keeping on. All right. Uh, went a little over time. That's first and second Thessalonians. Any questions or any input? There's a lot in both those. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yeah, first Thessalonians where it says pray without ceasing. I was always taught that that um, means stay in an attitude of prayer at all times. I, I think that's a... Keep your heart right with right. God. Keep your sins confessed. I think that's a good way to apply that, right? To pray at any time during the day. Right. Comes up to right, because when you're that way, then you can keep praying about things, right? Very, very true. Good point. Good point. Yes, ma'am. Barbara. I'm not sure. It could have been Oswald Chambers said, if I look at people and I try to be kind to them and solve and minister to them, I'm going to be worn out and give up because they are solvable. Right. You know, but if I look to the Lord right. and just try to be right. good servants, he'll flow through me and do right. it. Yeah, you can't look you can't look at people too much. You're always gonna find something not right. So uh, yeah. It's easy to get very well doing if you if our perspective is off. Right. Yes, ma'am. I had a quick question. So you talked about the falling away mm -hmm. before Jesus comes back. Mm -hmm. And and I had always believed that from, from this passage. Why are there Christians who believe there's going to be some kind of great revival before Jesus comes back? I have a lot of Christian friends who seem to believe there's going to be a big revival. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I'd like to think that would be, and there may be some in, you know, like, here or there type things, but I, I really don't see anything in Scripture that points to a great worldwide revival, before, unfortunately, before the Lord comes back. Um, there may be times of, you know, of, of campaigns where people, you know, preaching a lot come to Christ, but, you know, I don't hear anything about that hardly anymore. You never hear anything about great numbers, you know, um, big, huge stadiums or anything like that. You don't hear anything about that anymore, it seems like. I, I never do. I mean, there may be some once in a while that but um, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I think that everything Paul has to say goes, uh, shows it to just be completely opposite, that falling away. And then he, ex he explains the falling away in a couple of other places. In fact, when we get to 2 Timothy, we'll talk about that some more too. But um, that in the last days, it'll be perilous times. Not, so I don't know. I've, I've, I've read and seen people that have that, you know, that, that think there, there may be great revival before the Lord comes back. But. I don't see anything. Just what I've seen. I just don't that see. guy that goes, went to Africa, Barnhart, was, you know who I'm talking about? Who's that? An evangelist. Barnhart, something, he's got a big long name, he's like that. He's an evangelist, and he just, he really, really preaches. And he brings yeah. the big, big, big. Right. I know, I know in a lot of, the third world countries, you know, they have big, they'll have a big response. But look at America. You can't hardly get people to church up to yeah. a revival meeting, you know. I mean, yeah. it just. What's revival? Right. <laughs> right. So, all right, anything else? Okay, y'all good sports tonight. Let's stay in closing prayer and we'll dismiss. And Lord willing, next week we'll be in First Timothy. We're probably going to hold off on Second Timothy because it might be a little too much to fit in one night. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the time to be in your word tonight and the questions and answers. And for Lord, thank you that you've assured us that you will come back for your church. And to know, Lord, that it certainly has not happened yet and it's, it's, it's future. But, Lord, it may be sooner than we think. Uh, it could be this year. Uh, we don't know. 
but we know that you are certainly coming back. And you've assured us in your word, Lord, to know that uh, until you do, you're with us and you've given us uh, assignment, Lord. You've given us the, uh, the assignment to walk worthy of you in, in our lives day by day. And we know, Lord, if we, by your grace, when we do that, <clears throat> that's, uh, that's a lot for each of us to con- continue to remember in our own personal lives. And then as a church, Lord, to also be, uh, to glorify you in what we do. Thank you, Lord, for the time and your word. I pray that you'll bless and keep us safe as we leave here tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.